years, almost 24 years, Mauricio, for Cruz Azul to win their first league title since 1997. Christian Pulisic gets a Champions League, and we finally get to debut this beautiful set. How are you, my friend? Sebastian Salazar, Sebi Salazar, is on a much-deserved break in Sarasota. We wish him well with his uh, beautiful wife. But you're here, the super sub. How you doing, my man? I am here. You are here. And I'm not quoting the Beatles right here. And we are all together. Okay. And this is awesome. It's no coincidence that I'm wearing blue, by the way. Congrats to Cruz Azul. Congrats to Chelsea. Uh, but now we have international soccer ahead of us. We're going to have a great show. John Sotley, uh, covering the Mexican national team, will be here. Julie Fauri, Jeff Carlyle, following the U.S. men's national team. So I think we, we better start the show. Let's right get this going. ahead, because we have uh, the CONCACAF Nations League. It's probably her the longest tournament in history because it started <laughs> back in September of 2018. And we finally reached the semifinals. The U.S. men's national team will play Honduras and Mexico will play Costa Rica. So, tell me about the tournament. <laughs> What's at stake in the CONCACAF Nations League? It's about 20.5 inches long. <laughs> it's a little trophy, yeah. and that's what you get for winning this tournament. That's it. Don't let anybody How heavy is you. it? How heavy is it? <laughs> eight kilos, from what I know. Eight kilograms, that's how heavy it is. Uh, it doesn't mean much. Sure, it's bragging rights. Um, sure, it's nice to be called a champion. Sure, it's nice to be called top dog in the region. El gigante de CONCACAF. All those things that come with it. But this isn't like the Gold Cup and how the Gold Cup will give you half a ticket to the Confederations Cup. And how if you won the next Gold Cup, it'd be a full ticket or it'd be a playoff like we saw Mexico and the United States do. You wouldn't have the Confederation uh, champion title to it. This is a made-up tournament that they did in Europe first. Yes. That CONCACAF right. said, you know what? This is great. <laughs> and... What's great about it is all the other 41 countries or the f countries in, in, in what is CONCACAF will benefit from it. Maybe the Mexicos, maybe the Costa Ricas, maybe the United States and some other national teams won't be benefited by its existence. But these smaller uh, federations, they will. So in that, hence, you're increasing the level on CONCACAF, but only for the ones below you. If you're one of the top teams in what is CONCACAF, it's just another game. There have been many other attempts to raise CONCACAF's level, unsuccessful attempts, by the way. And this is probably, this was a good idea. Obviously, the pandemic hit and people had to adjust, teams had to adjust. But now, if you go and try to be in the shoes of managers like Greg Berhalter or Tata Martino, you might actually find something beneficial yes. for your process. Yes, and, and there is a beneficial part of this for the U.S. men's national team. Uh, the World Cup qualifiers that are just looming are going to be three-game windows. So, like, yeah. we just had Switzerland. So, be every, every three, four days, you're going to have a game. So, Switzerland just happened. Now, you'll have Honduras, potentially a final uh, down the road three, four days later. That's what the World Cup qualifiers are going to be like. So, this is, in, in a sense, a dry run for the U.S. men's national team. Yeah, Tata Martino, Mexico's head coach, he has said many times that he doesn't like playing CONCACAF teams that often. Well, he also had this to say about the semifinals of the CONCACAF Nations League. Creo que es volver a jugar con los rivales de siempre y los rivales de siempre son los que enfrentamos en la Copa Oro como corresponde y en la Copa y en las eliminatorias como corresponde. Me parece que la Nation League es un exceso de enfrentar a los a, a, este, rivales habituales y que son fechas que se pierden para poder jugar con rivales de otros de otros continentes. So I think it's fair to say Tata is not happy 
of having to play CONCACAF Nations League. And I think that last point is very important. He said, we could have used this date to play different kind of things. Now, I don't know if there was a chance to play European teams because they are also preparing for the, for the Euro right now. Correct. What do you make of those words? Uh, yeah. I think we've heard this before. Uh, we've had on Aura Nunca and ESPN and ESPN FC, we've had Jurgen Klinsmann in an interview I did with Jurgen Klinsmann uh, pre-pandemic where he spoke exactly about this. He said, if you're Mexico, if you're the United States men's national team, if you're Costa Rica, you get nothing out of this Nation League's tournament. He actually called it a waste of time. So he's preaching to the choir. Uh, yes, ideally, if you're one of these top teams in this or confederation, you would want to play against European competition. You'd want to play against South American competition. But unfortunately, South American competition is gearing up for Copa America. European competition is gearing up for the Euros. So this is what you have. Yeah, that was a great point with Con uh, Conmebol as well. They're having their own struggles. That's a different story. <laughs> now, uh, as, as, as we said, semifinals to start today. USA playing Honduras, Mexico playing Costa Rica. Is it, is it safe to say that La Lucha de Gigantes will be the final of this tournament? I don't think it's a safe bet. I don't think anything anymore is a safe bet, at least until the U.S. men's national team proves uh, that it can be a safe bet. We spoke uh, last show about marquee wins for Greg Berhalter and, and this team. There are no marquee wins. You know, no. Jurgen Klinsmann had uh, the first win ever in the history for the U.S. men's national team against Mexico in the Azteca. He beat Germany, he beat Italy, he beat Holland, all in Europe. Uh, Bruce Arena had his historic wins. Bob Bradley had his historic wins. They, they ended a 35-game run of the Spanish national team. That Spanish national team and you know, the two Euros that they won sandwiched the World Cup in between. So the last three managers have all had those marquee wins. We are still waiting for this marquee win from this team. Until, so until they prove that, until we can see that this team consi consistently, excuse me, can prove that there are no givens. And plus, they're facing an Honduras team that have some individual talent. They've yes, a few players. great point. Romelo, uh, uh, who up top is very good. Albert Ellis, uh, who in transition, these two players, Kyoto and, and Ellis, can be very, very dangerous. The U.S. has proven um, in the last three, four outings that they're not the most solid team defensively uh, when it comes to defending transition, defending teams with pace, teams with a little bit more of... Uh, physicality, so that could be an issue. And the other side, Mexico, they've got their own doubts as well. Raul Jimenez really puts a wrench in all their plans. Yeah, and we'll talk about that with John Sutliff a little bit later on the show. He's following the Mexican national team in Denver. Um, but now, you mentioned the U.S. men's national team, you mentioned Mexico, and there's always pressure. This is the kind of a tournament that if you win it, right, it, it feels like you're supposed to win it. But if you lose it, then the repercussions are big. Who's under more pressure? The U.S. men's national team or El Tri. I understand what people are going to say. This U.S. men's national team for the first time in a long time. And I'm paying so attention to talent. what you're about to say. So much <laughs> talent. You've got players playing in the biggest clubs in the world, the biggest leagues. One of your players just won the Champions League. Two of your players were in the Champions League final. But it's Mexico. This U.S. men's national team is poised for what is the future. I don't think anybody expects anything from them today. Uh, Mexico is today. You have to win today. Uh, because of their culture, uh, the whole country will be paralyzed anytime the Mexican national team plays. Uh, they will be scrutinized, they will be judged, they will be analyzed, they will be put under a microscope. And these players can't go further enough. They can't go far enough. It doesn't matter if it's in Europe. If they lose a game they're supposed to win, mm -hmm. they will hear about it, they will be hounded. The pressure is immense for them. So I have a question for you. I agree. Mexico is under more pressure. Not that much, but a little bit. But when will be, when will be fair to say that 
the U.S. men's national team will be under more pressure than Mexico because we have spoken many, many times about talent, right? And yeah. expectations. And this is supposed to happen. When can we actually start asking those questions and putting pressure on Greg Berhalter and his team? I think the pressure's been put on Greg Berhalter and the Federation. I don't know about the team because the team's still very young. They still haven't had those marquee games or wins that I've spoken about. Uh, but if you look at the year, the 13 months that was lost with an interim coach, Mauricio, an interim coach, it took 13 months to find a coach. Greg Berhalter could have been using that time or a different coach, whoever, could have been using that time to get these players experience in his system, mm -hmm. uh, with his DNA, his way. So it doesn't feel like... And look, nobody expected a pandemic year. Nobody expected this. But it doesn't feel like there's been so much time lost. Until these players get realistic tournaments under their belt, you can't have that pressure. So pressure should be expected, but not like Mexico. Not at all. That's cultural. Okay, we both expect the U.S. men's national team to win, Mexico to win. The last time that actually Costa Rica beat Mexico, 2013 in the World Cup qualifiers in Costa Rica. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Jeff Carlisle, ESPN's Jeff Carlisle, spoke to Timothy Wah. He's coming after a great season with Lille. Lille won the championship. He played 28 games, scored three times, and played already 20 minutes with the U.S. men's national team in their loss against Switzerland. Here's Tim Wah with Jeff Carlisle. What was it like to, to win a title with Lille? I mean, what was, uh, how thrilling was that? Um, it was an amazing feeling, obviously, because you work all year. Um, you know, a lot of ups and downs. Uh, last year for me was was really hard. And, uh, you know, the team didn't finish off really well because obviously COVID, um, that kind of stopped us. And, um, you know, coming back this year and, and winning the title was amazing. So uh, a great feeling, completely honored to be with this team and uh, I'm glad we did it for the supporters. What way are you a different player now than say, even at the beginning of, of the club season that just finished? I gained a lot in maturity. Um, as a player, um, you know, certain things come with um, experience. And I feel like, you know, I've gotten to the point where I've gotten a decent amount of matches in me. And, you know, just uh, just a lot of maturity in the game. And hopefully I can continue to, to mature and just, um, you know, find myself and become that complete player. And, you know, with time that'll come. So I'm, I'm really happy at, at where I'm at now. I've had a good season. Um, Hopefully next next year is going to be better and, you know, I can continue scoring goals and just helping my team. How excited are you to get back to the Champions League? So excited because the, the year that my, my club had Champions League, I missed out on it, unfortunately, with the injury. But, um, you know, I'm super happy that we're in it now. Had a had a really, really good few matches in Europa. Uh, and, you know, I'm excited to take it to that next step in Champions League 
everyone loves to play Champions League. So it's an amazing feeling. It's a dream come true. In terms of the U.S. national team, you know, where where do you see yourself fitting in? I mean, you're a pretty versatile guy. Um, you know, where, where do you see yourself kind of fitting in on this team? Um, honestly, wherever the coach needs me to play, wherever my teammates need me to play, you know, I'll do it. Um, I don't have a problem playing any position. I'm, I'm, I'm really versatile and I, I like to try new things. So, you know, wherever wherever we need, we, we need something, I, I'm, I'm always going to be that guy who's who's ready to, to put his foot down and, and play. Um, I'm still I'm still finding myself as a player and trying to figure out what position, you know, I feel comfortable in um, because uh, as, you, as you've seen last season, I was at the nine. I was playing a bit on the wing. I was also, uh, you know, played a bit of right back. So it was really interesting. Um, but yeah, I feel like as time goes and I continue to gain experience and and things like that. I feel like I'll I'll find a, a definite position, but for now I'm just I'm still testing the waters. What's your feedback from Greg Ben just in terms of what he expects? Uh, with the type of football that we play here, you know, um, we we have a we have a lot of lot of great talents, and you know, I, I feel like we're we're getting to that point where everyone's playing beautiful beautiful football, and you know, uh, Greg wants us to be a, a good attacking team. Um, get those runs in behind and, and stuff like that. And that's what I'm good at. And, you know, that's what we've been working on in training is getting those runs in, in behind defense and, and just uh, just going at goal pretty much. And, you know, that's what I've been working on. And, uh, you know, we've been doing well. The team's, team's looking great. Um, the guys are ambitious. So, you know, we just got to keep doing what we're doing and keep gelling together and everything will go down perfectly. How excited are you to, to kind of team up with, with Gio Reyna and, and guys like that. I mean, obviously Christian's not there at the moment, but, you know, thinking of guys like Weston and, and, and uh, Tyler and, and, and players like that. I mean, how, how exciting is it to be able to team up with those guys? Man, it's, it's amazing. There's so much names I could pull out. Um, Geo, Ty, Wes, Christian, when he comes in, um, just the whole lot, the whole group, Mark, Mackenzie, Zach, all those guys, you know, um, I've played with some of them before, but, you know, getting the chance to continue, continually, continuously play with them and 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 see how how everyone is developing at their clubs it's it's, it's been great and I can't wait to touch the field because I know everyone's going to bring something special and everyone has something uh everyone everyone brings something special to this team and I feel like um uh in the years to come this team is going to be a force and Jeff Carlisle joins the show live from San Jose. Great chat with Team Wea. Good to have you on the show. I know you're following closely what happens with the U.S. men's national team. Specifically, uh, Tyler Adams, what's the latest on his status for today's game? Well, the good news is that he's on the roster still. Uh, you know, the U.S. could have replaced him up until, you know, 24 hours before, uh, you know, tonight's game. And so he's still on the roster. So that's a good sign. But if you try to sift through Greg Berhalter's words, you know, I, I'm not sure that we're going to see a whole lot of Tyler Adams. You know, he talked about how he's making progress and that how he trained with the team. But that's also on, on the, you know, coming off of a back injury that he suffered. And, you know, he didn't play the last few games with Leipzig and he didn't play uh, in, in the friendly um, against Switzerland. So. I, you know, I, I suspect that what we're looking at is for Tyler Adams to have more of a substitutes role. I mean, it's 
considering that he has not been on the field, you know, in the run up to this. So, you know, we'll see what happens tonight. But um, I, I suspect that, again, we're going to see him coming off the bench. It'll be a surprise if he if he starts the match. Hey, Jeff, we've heard on more than a few occasions, Greg Berhalter hint that the U.S. Men's National Team will be split in two for what is the Nations League and what is Gold Cup. What can you tell us about this? Well, that's kind of been his plan all along. I mean, you know, in some previous press conferences, you know, when he talked about the team that was going to compete in the Nations League, he said that after that, he wanted those Europe-based players to unplug from the game, to, to clear their heads, you know, rest their minds as well as their bodies. Um, and that the Gold Cup would be a, a chance for some some MLS performers to shine and to try to prove that, you know, when the full team gets together, they deserve to be in the mix. So uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, certainly Berhalter has to manage relationships with European club teams. And the last thing they want is for their players to be playing throughout the whole summer and not getting any time off. So I, I think the expectation is that. Uh, again, the first team is going to compete in the Nations League, and then uh, he's going to take a look at some MLS guys in the Gold Cup. Jeff, another hot topic is the relationship between Josie Altidore and Toronto FC. You broke the news that there was an altercation between Josie and Coach Chris Armas after the Orlando game. Do you believe he's now in France, by the way, during the break, of course, enjoying Roland Garros with his girlfriend. Do you believe Josie played his last game with Toronto FC already? I think that's a distinct possibility. I mean, Toronto has been trying to move Josie Altador since the beginning of the year, if not earlier. Um, you know, when you know the, the January camp came about, Altador was called into camp, but then at the last minute, he, he was not made available for the for the friendly that took place at the end of that camp. And Greg Berhalter himself said that there was a possible transfer afoot uh, to move Josie Altador out of Toronto. So, uh, you know, this has been going on for a while. Um, I think. Altidore's frustration kind of came to a head in that Orlando game. I mean, the it wasn't so much a, an altercation, it was more of a verbal dispute. And that happened when Altidore got substituted against Orlando. Uh, you know, he felt like down a goal that it wasn't necessarily bringing on Akalai and Nola. It was, you know, why not have both of those guys in the field and try to get back into that game? So uh, Josie probably said something that he shouldn't have. and. And the Toronto brass reacted, and so he was was forced to train on his own. So, I think it's a distinct possibility. I mean, there's a huge break, you know, that's that's taking place right now. MLS is offered like upwards of three weeks, so I think that's more than enough time to at least get a deal in place. Now, granted, um, you know, Toronto is going to probably try to engage in some roster machinations as well. But, um, you know, I, I think it's it's very possible that we've seen the last of, of Josie Altador in a Toronto uniform. You've been very, very busy this week. Uh, breaking news, very uh, heavily involved. He's always in, busy. Inter always. Miami news. Inter Miami caught up in in that scandal, if you will. Uh, salary cap violations. One of their executives was suspended. Uh, it's very rare that we see Major League Soccer uh, take such a hard stance against an owner, uh, especially owners against owners. What was the tipping point here, Jeff? Well, I think the tipping point, I think there's actually more than one tipping point. I think the first tipping point was the realization that Blaise Matuidi should have been a designated player. And if you think back, you know, into some previous years, I mean, the LA Galaxy had to get rid of Gio Dos Santos because otherwise mm -hmm. they would have had four designated players. So I think that that line in the sand, if you will, had already been drawn. So when you know the league found out that Inter Miami had violated that rule, 
you know, they had to step in. But I, then making matters worse, it wasn't just a Blaze Matuidi issue. This was five players in total who had their salary budget charge uh, undercounted. And so that isn't a mistake. That isn't just a, a whoops, hey, we, we forgot to, to do something. We forgot to file something with the league office. This is this is more institutional. This is more a normal way of doing things. And so as a consequence, the league not only stepped in, but I think they hit Inter-Miami with some fairly serious penalties when you think about the allocation money that's lost. I mean, the fines, I mean, people can argue that, hey, 250 grand to, to Jorge Mas is not going to be that big a deal for him. You know, the team can obviously uh, be able to pay the $2 million fine, but I think the allocation money is definitely going to impact the team for years to come. And it'll be interesting to see how Miami tries to balance this penalty. Do they take most of the hit next year and then try to set themselves up for the following year? You know, do they, they, they even it out? Um, you know, but that's a, a question that Chris Henderson's going to have to try to figure out. Paul McDonough, who was the uh, executive at the time for Inter-Miami, was suspended for this season. He is now with Atlanta, or was with Atlanta. He's been relieved of his duties. And the next, he was the one of the architects, main architects, in Atlanta United's success uh, in the Tata Martina years. And when you think about the players who are on board, and I can read them off right now, it's Kenwin Jones, Joseph Martinez, Miguel Almiron, Tito Villalba, uh, Yamil Asad, Gonzalez Pires, Greg Garza, Brad Guzan, the list goes on and on. Should Atlanta be investigated next for their ties with Paul McDonough during those years? What have you heard? Well, what I've heard is that the two teams where Paul McDonough was at previously, Orlando City and Atlanta, uh, Atlanta United, are not going to be investigated uh, in terms of what took place when Paul McDonough is there. Now, <laughs> that has to be taken with a little bit of a grain of salt because when this investigation with Inter Miami initially began, I was told that Paul McDonough is not a target of this investigation. <laughs> okay. But obviously, as more facts emerged, and you, you saw that it wasn't just one player, it was five. Uh, where, the, where the, the salary budget charge was, was not done properly. Uh, obviously, that situation changed. But from what I gather at the moment, uh, neither Atlanta nor Orlando are going to be investigated. Um, we'll definitely keep, keep an eye on that. Uh, Jeff, as always, thank you very much. Busy man. Thank you for taking the time, sir. Anytime, guys. Jeff Carlyle with us on Football Americas. Speaking of Inter Miami, Herc, you know Lionel Messi is, as we speak, negotiating his contract with Barcelona. And take a look at this tweet by Tancredi Palmeri. Messi close to reach an agreement for the next four years at Barcelona for 60 million per year, cutting his salary of 28 million previews included huge signing bonus. But take a look at this. According to Vero Brunati, new Messi contract is 60 million before taxes. So 35 million approximately after taxes. So Messi has cut 53 million from previous salary. But most of all, till 2023 at Barcelona and till 2025 at Inter Miami. Is it, is it a real possibility to see Lionel Messi under this very complicated structure with his contract playing in Major League Soccer at Inter Miami? What's going on? Inter Miami just got fined over $2 million allocation money for salary cap roster, you know, violations. An executive has been suspended. And then on the heels of that, we get this news. And I should be saying, no way, no chance. But this could be a huge possibility. The money they're talking about is seven, more than $70 million per yeah. year for the two years he's at Inter-Miami. And you're thinking, like, well, wait, wait, that, there's no way that could... That has never happened, right? Well, it has, it has happened. Something similar has happened. David Beckham uh, in 2007... 
a five-year contract, $250 million. Along with that, they gave, they gave him the right to have an MLS franchise, which today is Inter Miami. If you're telling me that Major League Soccer couldn't, wouldn't do the same for Lionel Messi, one of the greatest footballers we have ever seen, arguably the best player ever to play the game, if you're saying that's not a possibility, I don't believe you. I wouldn't believe that as well. But now we've seen that everything can happen and, and the negotiations are still ongoing. And I do believe, we, because we talked about this before, the way Manchester City was approaching yeah, Lionel project, Messi right. and, and their contract was, you can play a couple of years here for a lot of money and then you can go play with NY's uh, New York City Football Club right. and be part of the Manchester City family for the next decade. And that's how they would make the money to pay Lionel it's Messi. It's essentially the same premise, right? Yes. You play a few years in what is Barcelona, a few years in what is Major League Soccer. And then you then become you an ambassador. Back, yeah, you right? come back as an ambassador within Major League Soccer, but you come back to work within the team for Barcelona. That was pretty much the same premise of these rumors that we had heard with City and their contract. It's a life project. It's certainly very interesting on both fronts. He's obviously uh, very fond of Barcelona and the club means a lot to him. He's willing to sacrifice $53 million yeah. in the process of stay. Um, we all knew Major League Soccer was trying to shy away from being this retirement league, right? And we all saw what happened, well, league of retirement, exactly. We all saw what happened with Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He pretty much relaunched his career after playing for the Galaxy. In, in Messi's case, it doesn't matter if he wants to retire in Major League Soccer, right? You take him no matter what. You know, Major League Soccer has this, we want to shed this label. We want to shed the retirement league label. But when it comes to generational talents, because Slatan was a generational talent, only two other players in his generation, could you say, were better than him? Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. Right. He comes at 37 years of age, suffering an ACL tear, and he completely turns the, the league on its head. He destroys Major League Soccer defenses, 52 goals in two seasons. I don't care what age Lionel Messi comes here. If you can get one of the best players yeah. ever to play the game to be here as an ambassador or any type of way you can get him here, you get him here. If he wants to play in Inter, if he wants to play in Los Angeles, if he wants to play in Kansas City or Denver, Colorado, you part the seas to make that happen. Absolutely. Speaking of Barcelona, by the way, the team has recalled Emerson Royal from Betis. He's a right back. He's going to play for Barcelona, but already has, obviously, Sergio Roberto playing that position and Serginho Dest. Do you believe this signing complicates, compromises Serginho Dest's stay in Barcelona? Not his stay, but it certainly compromises maybe his playing time. Hmm. Listen, when you're in a club like Barcelona, it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to compete in, day in and day out. And even if you're not competing with those players because you think you have a lockdown position, there was always somebody there planning on bringing in the next big thing. So Serginho Des, 20 years old, uh, it doesn't matter the type of season he had, next season, all bets are off. He has to compete, he has to win his position, and he has to get better because he's an exceptional talent with the ball at his feet. He's an exceptional talent going forward. There are defensive principles that he still is lacking. There are things that tactically he can get better at. Yep, yep. Uh, and I think those, depending on the play on a four-man back line or a three-man back line, which means he could be a, a potential wing back, 
would mean his playing time. Here's a comparison between uh, the two players. It might be actually good news for Serginho Dest, the fact that Ronald Koeman is staying, Correct. staying put as Barcelona coach because when they moved to that uh, back three line is when he had probably more minutes, and I would say the better minutes. It was actually fitting better for him. Now, and we don't Barce know. And Barcelona. And Barcelona. We, we don't know if uh, Ronald Koeman is still going to play like that because he now has Eddie Garcia playing as a center back. They're going to have Jorginho Vinaldum also being a part of the team. We'll see how this affect or what kind of effect it will have on Serginho yeah. Des, who I believe still has the trust of Ronald Koeman. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Julie, good to see you. Good to talk to you as always. Let's start with a couple of NWSL returns over the weekend. And let's start with Sam Mewis returning to NC Courage. The team had a slow start, but now they won 5-0. Tell us about the impact that Sam had on the team. Well, she comes back. They score five goals. They've been struggling to score goals. It's like she snaps her fingers. Boom, I'm back, ladies and gentlemen. It's all as well. Um, and that, I mean, that is the effect of Sam Mewis. She's confident right now. She obviously is coming back from playing at Man City. So she's fit. She's informed. She's getting ready for an Olympics. And I think what Sam also provides for this Courage team with a lot of the losses they've had, Crystal Dunn moving away, Abby Dalkemper was away, um, is that she provides some stability. She knows Paul Riley's system. She buys into the system. She provides some confidence. And so there are so many elements off the field that Sam Mewis brings into the equation because she has been so much a part of this Courage success over the years. She's obviously an impact player for the Courage, but my question to you, Julie, is she as impactful for the women, for the United States women's national team? She was ranked number one in the world by our ESPN FC crew for um, our first ever top 50 female players. And I don't even think she's reached her full potential. I mean, this is a player, a young player, box-to-box -box midfielder. And on top of that, right, she is just getting to where we're going to actually hit the tip of the iceberg with her because she has so much upside in terms of scoring potential, getting in behind defenses, defensively on the ball. And so I think her time at Man City is going to serve her very well because she talked about tactically being able to adjust to different systems. And now she's going to come back to the United States and hopefully have a great Olympics. So um, I think that she will definitely have the same impact on the U.S. team as well. Rose Lavelle returns as well, and she did it against her former team, Washington Spirit, a team that actually traded her league rights right after her transfer to Manchester City. And this is what Megan Rapino had to say. I think there's a little lack of patience by the Spirit to give up Rose for, you know, a honey bun. And now she is with us, so we're thrilled to have her. A honey bun is $100,000, by the way. So, Julie, did Washington make a mistake trading away Lavelle? Only only Megan Rapinoe can fit in honey bun into some type of bite. Um, 
You know, it's it's a bit tricky to be fair because honestly, you know, you look at the type of player Rose Lavelle is. She's a game changer type of player. Um, and so there's people out there for sure who are going, no way would I ever get rid of a Roosevelt type of player. But the way the NWSL is set up, if the Washington Spirit didn't trade her for that allocation money for the honey bun, they risked actually getting nothing because they don't own the rights to her, US soccer does. And so the Federation actually owns the rights to her. So they were afraid with her leaving to Man City, they would get nothing. Um, and I think I think they felt that, hey, look, we have a chance of getting this honey bun. It's better than nothing, a potential nothing. And so we're going to make that trade. So I get why they did it. And on top of that, her durability with Washington Spirit wasn't great. I mean, that's the one knock on Rose Lavelle is she only played in about 40 percent of their games because of injuries or call ups. And so I get why they did it. Well, no honey bun here. But you know what we do have? It's time to run it back. Yay. Let's run it back. Let's go. Let's go. A bit of NWSL bookkeeping. Alex Morgan is so good right now. You know how good she is? She didn't even play, and they gave her a goal. Why, you may say? This goal was actually credited to Martha. But retroactively, the league has since credited to Alex Morgan. With that goal, Alex Morgan now has four goals in four games. She is in fuego. <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely. Uh, we also wanted to, Herc, run it back to your Tigres. Tigres Femenil, they defeat Chivas Guadalajara. They are again Liga MX Femenil, the Women's League Champions, the fourth title in club history. This is the fourth title in six tournaments of the Mexican Women's National League. So you know the team very, very well. Uh, attendance has been off the charts. Why do you think, Herc, they've been so successful on the women's side as well? By the way, three different coaches yes. for titles. Uh, yes. 40K attendance per game. It's insane. Why are they so successful? Because that's the Tigres brand. That's a culture. That's the culture of Tigres. That's who they are. When you wear that crest, when you wear that uniform, there's an expectation and there is a fame that comes with it. I see this happening a lot in Europe. Uh, the men's team, the women's team, they're one, they are together. So you're using that strong brand name. Obviously here in the mm -hmm. States, Major League Soccer doesn't have a brand like that. They have very little history. That's why we see different names. But when it comes to elsewhere leagues around the world you see a very strong tie to the community part of their culture they grew up with this so it makes sense and it also helps that you have deep pockets like yeah. the Eagles women team do and they have some of the best players and they win the Mexican League is gaining a lot of traction, Julie. Uh, you know, the Mexican national team hasn't qualified to a major tournament since 2015. Yeah. What kind of impact do you believe the league can have on the national team? Well, that's, that's the, the honey bun question, isn't it? Because, <laughs> I, I mean, we've been saying this for a long time, and I know this league was started with that intent in mind, that it would trickle up and help the national team. Um, but it's, as we know, and Herc, I'd be interested to get your opinion on this because you know the Mexican League well, is that it's multifaceted the approach you have to take to the women's game and to supporting a national team and a grassroots support and building up player development and all those things that we know Mexico has been way behind in. And I, you know, honestly, the, the federation needs to do a better job of supporting the full women's national team. They need to do a better job as a country in terms of developing players. It just can't be we're attracting some numbers at the league level, which is great to see because they are. And we see with Tigres, it's it's so fun to, to watch. But 
I think there needs to be more at the grassroots and at the national team level for the Mexican national team actually to make a dent on the international stage. I couldn't agree more, Julie. I think you hit the nail on the head. For far too long, and Mao, you know this, the women's program on the Mexican side was dependent on what the U.S. did. Yes. It was uh, what type of players yeah. with, with ties to our country can we get and bring in to help strengthen our team. And now uh, they aren't depending on other federations to groom and mold those players. This league has been beneficial for the women, but it needs to keep going. Uh, the payrolls uh, aren't where they should be. Uh, their women are extremely talented. They're Depending on the city you're in, they're treated like celebrities, but they should be compensated the same way. Uh, and the federation yeah. needs to stake claim and actually do something in the grassroots uh, level, like they do with the men. They put much more stock on the men, unfortunately. Uh, but if you really want this program to go, you need to do exactly what the U.S. women's national team do and take the program seriously. Yeah, please. That would be so fantastic if they did. It would be great to have some neighbors that could Absolutely. compete on the international level with us. Absolutely. I, I would say Mexico has, has made a lot of progress in this field because Correct. five years ago, we wouldn't be speaking about a Liga de Mujeres yeah. in Mexican soccer. So mm -hmm. little by little, but it's getting there. 40K at a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's massive. There are teams, men's teams in yeah. Mexico that wish they got 40K per game. No doubt. You, uh, you want to hear a fun yeah. fact, Herc? Yes. The last time I talked to Julie was at the Rio Olympics in 2016. We were doing segments for ESPN Deportes, <laughs> ESPN <drops>. International. <laughs> so we were there together. So it's so it's so great to talk to you again, Julie. Good to see you. Thank you for joining us. Every four to five years, Mauricio. That's there you our go. role. Absolutely. Gracias, Julie. <laughs> see you later. Julie Fowdy right. with us Thanks, on Football Americas. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. El Tri, the Mexican national team, they are in Denver, about to play Costa Rica, the semifinals of the CONCACAFs Nation League. And there's been some controversy around the projected starting 11. We all know Raul Jimenez is not part of the team. His health is getting better, which is encouraging news Correct. for the team because they really need him. And uh, the, the rest of the starting 11, there are also some question marks. And we're going to bring our good friend John Sutcliffe to discuss that. He's right there uh, outside of the Denver Broncos Stadium. John, it's great to talk to you. Uh, we were discussing exactly projected starting 11 for Tata Martino and this game against Costa Rica. What do you have? What do you think is going to happen? What's up, kid? What I up, Johnny? Wanted to say Hercules. <laughs> I, I wanted to say Hercules, not Hercules. Well, I, I think Tata Martino wants to put a starting lineup this afternoon to the next level. A better starting lineup than Saturday in Cowboys Stadium against Iceland. What do I hear is Guillermo Choa as the starting goalkeeper, even though Guillermo Choa is going to go with Jimmy Lozano to the Olympic team in Tokyo. Then the two center backs, it's Hector Moreno and Nestor Araujo. Something is bothering uh, Salcedo, so Salcedo will not be in the starting lineup today. Ah, oh, breaking news, I can also confirm hmm. that Hector Moreno 
is going to sign with Rayados de Monterrey. Oh. He confirmed that to me earlier today. Hector Moreno will be playing with Rayados. So, left back usually is Jesus Gallardo. Ver Gerardo Arteaga has been getting good minutes. He's getting the attention of Tata Martino. So I expect Arteaga as a left back. R right back, eh, el, eh, Chucky Rodriguez. Chaka. Then in the midfield, Chaka. Yeah, Chucky's going to be up front. Yes. Yeah, Chaka Rodriguez. <laughs> then in the midfield, yeah, it's like if we were talking about Star Wars, no, on Disney Plus, no. Chaka. <laughs> then in, 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 in the midfield, you're going to have Edson Alvarez. I'm also hearing that Edson might not be given the permission to go to the Olympics, so it might be Luis Romo. But today, Edson, double H, <laughs> Hector Herrera, and the captain, Andres Guardado. Up front, we're going to get Chucky Lozano. Lozano will start. Then you have Uriel Antuna on the right side. Why not Tecatito? Well, Tecatito has been bothered recently with something that they've been working on, and he's not being considered to play here in Denver. It'll have to be till Gold Cup or maybe next week against Honduras in a friendly in Atlanta. And then, even though he's had Alan Pulido as a starter in practice, I've been told that don't be surprised if Henry Martin starts up front. So that's basically the 11 starters for tonight for the Mexican national team against Costa Rica. Uh, there were some con contradicting reports yes. that were stating Alan Pulido would start now Henry Martin. And we were discussing, Maybe. John, uh, the impact of Raul Jimenez's absence from the Mexican national team. What can you tell us about the way Tata Martino has been dealing with this because even in some games, he tried the very famous false nine with Chucky Lozano, which was not a bad experiment, by, by the way. The bad experiment was when he played Rodolfo Pizarro in that position. What can you tell us about the battle for the number nine spot? Well, you have to consider that the fact that Raul Jimenez is out, and Tata was very clear last week when I asked him about Raul Jimenez, he said, look, first he has to do preseason, once the Wolves, once he plays in the Premier League, then I can consider calling him for the World Cup qualifiers. I think he's going to back Henry Martin. Remember when you were a little kid, Mao, and you, you didn't behave, and they sent you to the principal's office and yeah, you were in the blacklist? The I the think time. Javier El Chicharito Hernandez is in the blacklist. Oh. The more I've been together in the last few days wow. close to the Mexican national team, I don't see player of the month, whatever he's doing with Galaxy, I do not see Javier Chicharito being called up in the Mexican team if Tata Martino is the coach. So I think he's going to give Henry Martin all the backing and also Alan Pulido. That's the question. Maybe it is Alan Pulido. I have a gut feeling that it's going to be Henry Martin starting and then at some point he'll bring in Alan Pulido. At the end of the day, this is official game. He needs to win. Mexico needs to get to the final. So everything is, take it easy, relax. We're taking it seriously. So I, got, I, I just have a feeling it's going to be Henry Martin. And then as a sub, you could see Alan Pulido. Hey, can we take you back, John, for a second to the comment about Javier Hernandez, Chicharito Hernandez, because he's obviously having a, a huge resurgence with the LA Galaxy. He's the all-time leading goal scorer for the Mexican national team. He's still of good age. He just turned 33 years of age yesterday. Yeah. Uh, what exactly is keeping Javier Hernandez away from the national team? 
I, I think his non-discipline, when it was September 2019, we all know all the issues about the party in, in, in Jersey, in New York, then in San Antonio. What I was told, and nobody can confirm it because Tata's going to talk about it, that was the moment Tata talked to him and said, look, Javier, you didn't come to the Gold Cup. You were going to be a dad. We backed you in that. Then you come and do all this mess. It costs it cost persons in the operations their job. So I, I, I just think that he, he's not considered. I'll tell you what. I think the moment Funes Mori from Rayado shows his Mexican passport, Funes Mori will be called up before Javier Hernandez. That's hmm. what I think. Even though, even though when Tata got mad at Chicharito, Raul Jimenez was in the picture. Now, without Raul, we're going to see. But I, 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 I thought a week ago there was a small window for Javier. The more I'm close to the Mexican national team, I would be very surprised if he's called up for the coming tournament of Gold Cup. Uh, John, you, you spoke about Tecatito Corona and that injury concern that he has and him not being a starter. I see Antuna is slotted in there. Ahead of, a likes, ahead of the likes of a player like, excuse me, uh, Diego Linus. Uh, what's going on there? Yeah. Well, I think Diego Linus had a great game on Saturday against Iceland. And the fact that Eric Gutierrez got hurt from an ankle, he was brought in to the roster for this league. I think Diego Linus will get more minutes. He'll get his opportunity. But I see Diego Linus in the Olympics in Tokyo with Jimmy Lozano's squad. So I, I just have a feeling that he's trying to go with the best he has. And at this moment, it's Chucky, Antuna, and Henry. So, John, uh, the U.S. men's national team has made it very clear that they're going to have different teams for uh, CONCACAF Nations League and then for the Gold, uh, Gold Cup. It will be more a Major League Soccer base player uh, kind of a roster. What's going on with the Mexican roster for the Gold Cup? Because we all heard Tata Martino saying priority number one, Olympic Games. He has what it's looked like his uh, ideal squad for these two matches. So what's going to happen during during Gold Cup? What kind of a team are we, are we going to see? Well, that's a big question, Mauricio. You know, Tata said yesterday in his presser here at the stadium that he has about 90% set for that squad in the, in the Olympic squad. So that's a question we have. I think Mexico has enough of a squad to give up three key players for Jimmy over the age of 23, 24, and still have a very good starting squad. What do I see in, in, the, in the Gold Cup up front? You'll see Chucky Lozano, you'll see Tecatito, and then Alan Pulido or Henry Martin. That's the interesting question. Is Henry Martin or Alan Pulido one of the ones that goes to Tokyo? I don't know. I do think today's game and Sunday's game, if Mexico advances or plays third and fourth place match, is very important because the, the, the Mexican squad, there's no question they're thin in un numero nueve, on a nine number. Uh, John, before we get you out of here, I got to ask you, you're in the thick of things. Uh, you're all over the place in Mexico. You know the Federation very well. How much pressure is Tata Martino under to win this Nations League? A lot of pressure, a lot of pressure, because at the end of the day, you know, don't confuse activity with accomplishment. Mexico is the, the most important team in CONCACAF, and they got to win. Because, look, if Mexico gets it done today and Sunday and then has a good Gold Cup, no problem. Then it comes 
uh, the World Cup qualifying game. So there is pressure. That's why I think he's going to try and get the best starting lineup he can get tonight because he knows that if they win today, everything's normal. But if you lose, then the crisis starts. Then Mauricio Pedrosa gets mad and Hercules Gomez saying, Tata, what are you doing? You got to get Chicharito in here. First of all, I never get mad. I just state facts. I just state facts, and that's a different okay. thing. And I know Herc does that as yes, well. Yes, you can. Uh, John, it's going to be a long summer for you following the Mexican national team. I, I know one of those stages is bringing you to L.A., so we look forward to seeing you, hanging out with you. Stay safe. Stay fresh, my friend, because this is just getting started. Thank you for joining us live from Denver, Johnny. Thank you, Mauricio and Hercules. Gracias, señor. That's uh, John Sutliff <laughs> live from Denver. And we update you now. Here we go. This is the uh, U.S. men's national team starting 11 to face Honduras. And Herc, I'm taking a close look at the starting 11. And I see no Tyler Adams. What kind of effect do you think this is going to have on the team? It could have a domino effect, uh, absolutely, because Tyler Adams is a very good player. Tyler Adams gives you that balance. Tyler Adams, tactically, is so intelligent. He can cover those gaps, and those defensive transitions that you've been vulnerable to all of a sudden aren't as important. All of a sudden aren't as noticeable when you have a player of that caliber. Uh, but I like what I see with, with Robinson on the left. I think Anthony Robinson on the left. He's proved to have a very good year at Fulham. He's a very interesting player. He's a two-way player, can get involved in the attack. He's got a good engine on himself, and he defends, which gives Serginho Dest opportunity to play on his natural right-footed side, uh, and also gives a little counterbalance. So if one goes, the other stays. You almost have that three in the back line to protect, so those two center backs won't be on an island. You won't always have a one player on an island, like we often saw in transition on the side of Serginho Dest when he was with John Brooks. But yes, no Tyler Adams is a huge, huge loss. Uh, but this is as first choice of the lineup as you can get. No doubt. Zach Steffen back in goal. Christian Pulisic fresh from winning the UEFA Champions League. And, and, I, and I see that top three, Herc, and I like it. I like it a lot. So how, how do you think this team is going to play? Sebastian Leggett had a really good game yeah, against know, Switzerland. I know a lot of people are scratching their heads right now at the Sebastian Leggett. But he had a good game. He had a good game, but it's no Yunus Musa. Right. That's what people are saying. Where's Yunus Musa? Yep. We want to see Yunus Musa. And I agree. I want to see Yunus, see Yunus Musa as well. But Sebastian Leggett has slowly and quietly turned out a very nice year under the U.S. Men's National Team with Greg Berhalter. He's not a player that people, fans give a lot of credit to because he's got the Major League Soccer banner behind him because they think that's not important, because they think that's inf inferior of what the team should be. He's a very good player. He's a very good, versatile player. He's a utility player. He's a player you can plug in anywhere on the field. I don't think you miss a beat. Obviously, Yunus Musa is a very good talent. He's a very good player, and I'd very much rather see him on the field, but Sebastian Legette isn't no slouch either. Lastly, how do you think Christian Pulisic is fitting in that top three? It's go time. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you something. I've not seen Christian Pulisic this excited for the U.S. Men's National Team in his history. And I'm, I'm talking about when you saw him 16 years old, debuting, playing, you didn't see this type of excitement, this type of jubilee, this type of belief in him. He's coming off a Champions League trophy. Yeah. That's big, bro. That's title. big. Something that players 
thrive to do, aspire to do, aspire to be in a game like that. He lifted that trophy. I hope this is contagious. I hope this uh, it can be something that the rest see is tangible and it lifts this team. This is a leader in the process. That was the fanciest of the fanciest. Now he has to come back and play CONCACAF level soccer, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it was amazing being in studio with you, my guy. Thank you my for man. having me here. I love the shirt. I love Thanks, the jacket. Man. Next week, we'll see you here on Football Americas.